We now questions the Prime Minister. Jonathan Gullis. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I know that members across the House will want to join me in wishing both England and Wales the best of luck. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Jonathan Gullis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. People in places like Stoke-on-Trent North, Kidsgrove and Talk aren't getting the help they need quickly enough when it comes to mental health. Fellow campaigner James Starkey and I were delighted when the Prime Minister, who was then Chancellor, said he would back our campaign every step of the way to get mental health nurses into GP surgeries. So will the Prime Minister deliver on his promise, back our No Time to Wait pilot scheme developed by the Royal College of Nursing and help get people the support they need? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, can I thank my honourable friend for his continued campaigning on this important issue? I'm pleased to tell him all 1,250 primary care networks in England are entitled to recruit up to two mental health practitioners to work in surgeries. I know the BMA and NHS are looking at expanding that, and I look forward to working with him to ensure that his constituents in Stoke get the mental health support and care that they need. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and congratulations to England and Wales on their start to the World Cup, and good luck for the rest of the tournament. Mr Speaker, the World Cup doesn't belong to FIFA, and it doesn't belong to the host nation. It belongs to everyone who loves football. It's totally unacceptable that during this tournament, gay football fans are unable to acknowledge who they love and players have been threatened with suspension if they show solidarity with those fans. Shame on FIFA. Britain faces the lowest growth of any OECD nation over the next two years. Why? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, This country has experienced, since 2010, the third highest growth in the G7. This this year, the fastest growth in the G7 and unemployment at a multi-decade low. We're getting on to deliver more growth, Mr Speaker. We're delivering free ports. We're investing in apprenticeships. We're protecting R&D. And if the Labour Party is serious about actually supporting growth, maybe they should get on the phone with their union paymasters and tell them to call off the strike. Mr. Speaker, we're 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 We want to get through Prime Minister's questions, and you're not helping me. Keir Starmer, he's in total denial. We're bottom of the 38 OECD countries who are all in the same boat when it comes to COVID and Ukraine, and he wants a pat on the back. It's like a football manager bottom of the league at Christmas, celebrating a way draw three months ago, and it won't wash. So let's, they don't like their record, that's the problem. So let's try it another way. Why is Britain set to be the first country into recession and the last country out? Mr Speaker, I'm pleased that the Right Honourable Gentleman brought up the OECD report, because it contained actually three very important points. Firstly, it made the point that actually in the years following the pandemic, we're projected to have almost the highest growth amongst our peer countries. And it, 
also, it, it also, it also made the point. It was crystal clear that the challenges we face are completely international in nature. And thirdly, and thirdly, and thirdly. It, it, thirdly, Mr. Speaker, it supported our fiscal plan because it's credible and ensures sustainability. Now, the right honourable gentleman would have known all of that if he actually read the whole report. But, but he's, not, he's, not, he's not interested in substance. He's an opportunist, Mr. Speaker. In, in, in four weeks, Mr. Speaker. In, in, four, in four weeks, in four weeks, I've, in four weeks, I've strengthened the economy. We've put more money into the NHS and schools. We've delivered a deal. We've delivered a deal to tackle illegal migration. In the same four weeks, in the same four weeks, all we've. Oh, oh, oh. Prime Minister, when I stand, you've got to sit down. But can I just say to you, you came to me quite rightly and said to me, we want to get through Prime Minister's questions. I'm going to give short answers. Please stick to what you have. Well, Mr Speaker, there's only, there's only one party that's crashed the economy and they're sitting there. I noticed this, Mr. Speaker. I noticed this. He won't say why Britain is set to be the first into a recession and the last out. So I will. Twelve years of Tory failure, followed by twelve weeks of Tory chaos. For a decade, they've let our economy drift aimlessly before suddenly cutting the parachute ropes and slamming it to the ground. And because of the changes he's made, a typical household will end up with tax increases of £1,400. They don't want to hear about these tax increases of £1,400. Contrast that, contrast that to a super wealthy non-dom living here but holding their income overseas. How much more? Order. Mr Young. I don't need any more. I don't need shouting. Don't need pointing. You're meant to be a good example when you sit on this front bench, because you're the second. Don't spoil what you're meant to do. Mr. Speaker, I don't think I want to hear this because of the changes. Because of the changes he's made, a typical household will end up paying tax increases of £1,400. Contrast that to a super wealthy non-dom living here but holding their income overseas. How much more has he asked them to pay? Oh, 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 just order. As I said to the Prime Minister, I said to the Leader of the Opposition, I've got to get through this list. I need you both to help me and think of other members. Come on. Well, Mr Speaker, Labour had 13 years to address this issue and did nothing, nothing. It was the Conservative government that took action and tightened the rules. But the problem, the problem with his idea, the problem with his idea is that it would end up costing Britain money. Not, not, not my words, not my words, the words of the former Labour Shadow Chancellor. Rather than peddling fairy tales and gesture politics, let's actually tell him what we're doing to deliver for this country. A record increase in the national living wage, protecting millions from energy bills, protecting the pensioners' triple lock. That's what we're doing for this country. Mr Speaker, if they had grown the economy at the same rate as the last Labour government, we'd have tens of billions of pounds more to spend on that. Oh, Mr Speaker, it wasn't a trick question. The answer is... 
He's not asked non-doms to pay a penny more. Every year, he talks about the money, every year that's £3.6 billion thrown away because he won't make them pay their taxes here. How many extra doctors could Britain afford with that money? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm pleased that he brought up doctors because last week we delivered record increases in funding for the NHS. Not just more doctors, but more nurses, more scans, more operations. That shows our commitment to prioritise the NHS. Not my words, the words of the NHS Chief Executive. Scrapping the non-DOM status would allow us to train 15,000 doctors every year. That's what Labour would do. And we can carry on handing out tax breaks to the super-rich, or we can live in a society where people don't have to go private to get a doctor's appointment. It's that simple. He also hands Shell 90p for every £1 they spend drilling so they haven't paid a penny in windfall tax. Mm. Mr Speaker, you may have seen this week that somebody shredded £10,000 in protest at those propping up an oil and gas giant. But he shreds £10,000 every other minute propping them up. Which does he think is the more absurd? Mr Speaker, this is the government that has actually put in place an economic plan that will deliver confidence and stability to our economy. And all I've heard from the Honourable Gentleman today, there's, there's no answers, there's no substance, because there's no plan, Mr Speaker. He talks about the NHS, we're delivering record funding for the NHS, but we can only do that on the foundations of a strong economy. You can't deliver for the NHS unless you have a plan for the economy, and he doesn't have either, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, every time he opens his mouth, another powerful business voice says he hasn't got a plan on growth. The failure of the last 12 years and the chaos of the last 12 weeks are compounded by the decisions he's taking now. He won't follow Labour's plan to scrap non-DOM status. Instead, we've got an NHS staffing crisis. He won't follow Labour's plan to make oil and gas giants pay their fair share. Instead, he hammers working people. And he won't push through planning reform. Instead, he kills off the dream of home ownership. Too weak to take on his party. Too weak to take on vested interest. Twelve long years of Tory government. Five prime ministers. Seven chancellors. Why do they always clobber working people? Mr Speaker, he talks about leadership. This summer, I stood on my principles and told the country what they needed to hear, even though it was difficult. When he ran for leader, he told his party what they wanted to hear. And even now, even now, he says one thing and he does the other. He says he cares for working people, but he won't stand up to the unions. He said he'd he'd honour Brexit, but he tried to have a second referendum. And now he tries to talk tough about immigration, but he promised to defend free movement. You can trust him him to deliver for his party. You can trust me to deliver for the country. Ruth Edwards. 
Speaker, as we debate how to best help our constituents with their energy costs, 10 million people in Ukraine are without power due to Russia's barbaric strikes on the country's energy infrastructure. So can my right honourable friend set out what support we will be providing to our Ukrainian allies to help them repair the damage and keep their citizens warm this winter? I am pleased to tell my honourable friend that I spent time discussing this with President Zelensky at the weekend and talking to Ukrainian families about the impact these awful strikes are having on them. Uh, I know the whole House will be proud to know that we are providing millions of pounds of immediate support with generators, shelter and water repairs uh, on top of the 570 mobile power generation that we are donating to power facilities across Ukraine. We are also working with the Government to repair critical infrastructure with eight projects identified by UK Export Finance to be delivered in the near future. We now come to the Leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I am sure the whole House will want to join me in welcoming the moderator of the Church of Scotland to our proceedings this afternoon and to thank him for his sermon at St Margaret's this morning. Mr Speaker, this morning the Supreme Court clarified a point of law, but the very point of democracy in this union is now at stake, and democracy will not be denied. Because whether Westminster likes it or not, last year the people of Scotland voted for a Scottish Parliament with a majority in the mandate to deliver an independence referendum. The Prime Minister has every right to oppose independence. He has no right to deny democracy to the people of Scotland. If the Prime Minister keeps blocking that referendum, will he at least be honest and confirm that the very idea that the United Kingdom is a voluntary union of nations is now dead and buried? Mr Speaker, let me start by saying we respect the clear and definitive ruling of the, on the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom. And what I would say to the honourable gentleman that, uh, firstly, I am looking forward to also seeing uh, the moderator of Scotland tomorrow. Uh, and I think that the people of Scotland want us to be working on fixing the major challenges that we collectively face, whether that's the economy, supporting the NHS, or indeed supporting Ukraine. Now is the time for politicians to work together, and that's what this government will do. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, it is right that we respect the decision of the court, but the Prime Minister can't claim to respect the rule of law and then deny democracy in the very same breath. If democracy is to matter, if elections matter, then mandates matter. Since 2014, the Scottish National Party has won eight elections in a row. Last year, we won a landslide. The Scottish Parliament now has the biggest majority for an independence referendum in the history of devolution. The Prime Minister doesn't even have a personal mandate to sit in 10 Downing Street. What right does a man with no mandate have to deny Scottish democracy? Mr Speaker, when when it comes to Scottish democracy, I'm pleased that this, the Scottish Government has one of the most powerful devolved assemblies anywhere in the world. And, and I'm pleased, and I, and I was pleased, very shortly after becoming Prime Minister, to be the first Prime Minister in over a decade to attend the Council, to sit down with the First Minister, to explore ways in which we can work together with the Scottish Government to deliver for the people of Scotland. 
whether that is delivering our growth deals, delivering free ports, or ensuring that the £1.5 billion of extra Barnet money can go towards supporting public services. That is what we are committed to doing in Scotland. Johnson. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, last month, Just Stop Oil clambered up the Dartford Crossing causing chaos for days. They then attacked artworks, the M25 and anything else to cause misery and mayhem. These people are not protesters, they are criminals. Will the Prime Minister therefore consider making Just Stop Oil a prescribed organisation so that they can be treated as the criminal organisation they actually are. Mr Speaker, the kind of demonstrations we've seen recently disrupt people's daily lives. They cause mass misery for the public and they put people in danger. The police have our full support in their efforts to minimise this disruption and tackle reckless and illegal activity. The Public Order Bill will give them the powers they need, and I look forward to seeing the support that that bill receives from every part of this House. Ed Davey. Mr Speaker, one of my constituents, Vanessa, has contacted me in floods of tears. Her mortgage payments have risen by £500 a month. She and her husband were already struggling with high energy bills and high food bills. Now, like one in four across the country, they fear losing their home. We are out of options and heartbroken, says Vanessa. So will the Prime Minister introduce a new mortgage protection fund, paid for by reversing his tax cuts to the banks? Will he help Vanessa keep her home? Mr Speaker, I'm deeply sorry to hear about Vanessa's circumstances. And I want her to know that the plan that the Chancellor announced last week will help families like hers up and down the country because it's the right plan to tackle inflation, to limit the increase in mortgage rates and ensure confidence in our economy. There is specific help that the Chancellor announced offering low interest loans to those, benefits, uh, those, those owners on benefits to cover interest on mortgages of up to 250000 The Chancellor is also meeting with mortgage lenders in the coming weeks and we will continue to do all we can to support those homeowners who are struggling with their pay. Greg Tracy. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. I recently took part in the Pitching In campaign, which promotes grassroots sports and also celebrates the volunteers who make it possible every week. So, would the Prime Minister join me in thanking those volunteers for the incredible work they do? And also, with top flight football taking a bit of a break at the moment because of the World Cup, would he uh, join me in reminding people that it's the perfect opportunity to go out and support their local non league yeah. football teams? Um, in- uh, who uh, are incredibly welcoming, and um, including in that, of course, Atherston Town Community Football Club, Bedworth United, and Coles Hill Town in my constituency. Well, I'm, uh, I'm happy to join my honourable friend in, in praising all his local teams, and he makes an excellent point, actually, that volunteers have a vital role to play in community sport and actually the delivery of major events, and I join him in thanking them for everything that they do. Uh, sport accounts for over half, Mr Speaker, of volunteering in the UK, and every one volunteer generates a capacity for at least eight more people to participate in sport, and I know the whole House will join me in praising their efforts. Alan Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Good afternoon. Mr. Speaker, since 2014, the SNP have won eight elections, and we now have more councillors, 
members of the Scottish Parliament and more MPs in this place than any other Scottish political party. Every one of those elected members were elected on a manifesto and clear mandate for Scottish independence. Mr Speaker, what democratic right does this Government have to deny Scottish democracy, refuse an independence referendum and to keep us shackled and imprisoned in this involuntary and unequal union against the will of the Scottish people? Mr Speaker, again, we respect the decision of the court today with regard to the referendum, and we are getting on with the business of working constructively, collaboratively in partnership with the Scottish Government to deliver for his constituents. Indeed, the Ayrshire Growth Deal is investing over £100 million to make use of his region's strong industrial heritage, potentially making more use of renewable energy. That is the kind of positive project we should be focused on, and that is what we will keep on delivering. John Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has rightly promised to recruit a successor to Lord Guite as his ethics adviser promptly. But would he accept that threats to integrity are often broader than the job description of the Prime Minister's adviser on the Ministerial Code? And will he therefore commit to introduce the additional measures in the new five-point integrity plan on topics like lobbying and conflicts of interests, developed with organisations like Transparency International and Spotlight on Corruption, to show he will walk the talk and put party integrity and, and government integrity at the heart of, uh, of our democracy. Well, I, uh, I, I thank my honourable friend for his comprehensive and thoughtful suggestions. As he acknowledged, he knows that I have committed to appointing an independent adviser on ministerial interests, and I very much look forward to studying his other proposals in proper time. Chris Law. Speaker, just three months ago. This appointed interim Prime Minister said in Scotland, and I quote, we live in a union, which is of course there by consent and by democracy. And added, I accept that. Well, Mr Speaker, by their consent and by democracy, the Scottish people have already voted by a clear majority in the Scottish Parliament to have their say through a referendum on the independent future for Scotland. So it begs the ultimate question, Mr Speaker. Can this Prime Minister tell us if he accepts Scottish democracy? And if so, how that is compatible with today's Supreme Court ruling that clearly exposes the myth that the UK is a voluntary union and is upheld by consent? Mr Speaker, at a time like this, the Scottish people want to see their governments working together working together on the things that matter to them, and I believe that that is possible. And actually, he should know this, Mr Speaker. In his own constituency, we've been, del- we've been able to support culture and tourism, working together to bring the V&A to Dundee. That's an example of a positive project. It demonstrates the benefits of the union, and that's what we'll keep on delivering. Mr Paul Burrisford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that the government provides a slim financial support across five firms for small modular reactors. A few other countries have woken up and are seriously investing in SMR, as Sizewell will not be running until 2031 at the earliest. Should we not be doing the same? No, my uh, honourable friend actually makes an excellent point, and hopefully he was heartened to hear what the Chancellor said last week, that we want to crack on with our overall nuclear programme. And I think he's right to acknowledge that small and advanced nuclear reactors have the potential to play a key role in that nuclear programme, alongside projects like Hinkley and Sizewell. That's why we've allocated £385 million to support them, and like him, I'm keen to see progress as soon as possible. Dr Philippa Whitford. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. During the 2014 referendum, we were told that Scotland was an equal partner in a family of nations. Yet the disaster that is Brexit was forced on Scotland against our will, and we see devolution wound back by legislation such as the Internal Market Act. So if the Prime Minister still claims the UK is a voluntary union, can he explain the democratic route by which the people of Scotland get to make a choice over their own future? Mr Speaker, the UK is a collaborative and constructive union that is delivering for the people of Scotland. Even in her, in her own, in Ayrshire itself, where we're working collaboratively with the Scottish Government to invest in aerospace, advanced manufacturing and space, those are the types of act activities that will bring tangible benefit to the people in her region, and that's the right focus for the Government. Angela Adams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, as a North Yorkshire MP, my right honourable friend will know how crucial bus services are to our communities. Last month, uh, Arriva stopped the only bus between Selby and Doncaster, meaning that 40 Selby College students uh, had to find, at very short notice, alternative transport to get to college. Thankfully, the college itself stepped in to resolve the situation. Additionally, across North Yorkshire, around 80 other bus services are now under threat. Can he advise what action he will take to ensure that essential services are not withdrawn at short notice and ensure that um, these are continued to be operated across Selby District and wider North Yorkshire? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my right honourable friend is, is absolutely right. and He knows that I, I share exactly the same uh, challenges that he faced in our rural areas of making sure that our constituents have access to the bus services they need. I, I'm pleased that the Chancellor has allocated funding uh, for extra bus services across the country, and I look forward to working with him to ensure that that money finds its way to rural areas like North Yorkshire to provide the connectivity that is so important for people to have opportunity and get access to public services. May I refer the House to my Register of Interests? Mr Speaker, tomorrow marks one year since 32 people lost their lives in the Channel. New evidence suggests that the boat reached British waters and that the French and British authorities knew that it was in distress for a very long time. Families are still waiting for answers from the Marine Accident Investigation. Why has this investigation taken so long? Will he commit to a full public inquiry afterwards? And does he concede that this would not have happened if there were safe and legal routes into the UK? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, every life that is lost in the Channel is a tragedy. But that is why it is so vital that we break the cycle of criminal gangs that are exploiting people and trafficking them. Uh, and that's what the Home Secretary is focused on. Uh, we have accepted over 380,000 people over the past few years because this is a place where people can seek refuge and sanctuary. But we must be able to do that in a sustainable way. And that's why it's right that we tackle illegal migration. Dr. Carolangelo. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, rising energy bills would challenge for all of us, and constituents in Sleaford and North Highcombe are very grateful for much of the support that has been given by government. But with temperatures this week falling below freezing in Lincolnshire, those living in park homes are particularly concerned yeah. when they will receive their support. So I ask my honourable friend, the Prime Minister, can he tell me when and how people living in park homes will receive the £400 which they are entitled to? Yeah. And my, uh, my honourable friend has consistently and rightly championed her rural constituents, making sure that they get access to the 
energy support that we're providing. It's something that the Chancellor prioritised in last week's autumn statement. I will ensure that we get the money out as quickly as possible. She should also be reassured that the cold weather payment system provides extra financial support to those vulnerable constituents when temperatures drop below a certain point. Mr Speaker, did Scotland vote for Brexit? No. Did Scotland vote for austerity? No. Did Scotland vote for the Tories? No. What we did vote for? Don't shout me down. Don't shout me down. I've listened to all of you. What we did vote for only last year was the right to choose our own future. With that in mind, and given a previous non-answer from the Prime Minister, can the Prime Minister tell this House, tell us all in fact, how a nation can leave this so-called voluntary union? Mr Speaker, the challenges that we face right now are those that require cooperation between our governments, tackling the economy, supporting the NHS, and I'm pleased that last week's autumn statement means that the Scottish Government will receive £1.5 billion in extra funding to deliver for public services in Scotland, and that's what we will continue doing. Theresa May. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Scotland is a proud nation with a unique heritage. It is a valued member of our family of nations, a union of people bound through the generations by shared interests. Does my right honourable friend agree with me? But this morning's Supreme Court decision gives the Scottish Nationalists, the SNP, the opportunity for once to put the people of Scotland first. And and end its obsession with breaking us apart. That my, 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 my right honourable friend put it very well, Mr Speaker. Angus Brendan McNeil. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister won't answer, but it's obvious that the route to Scottish independence is now elections, and we know Prime Minister there's going to be many of them. Now, Mr Speaker, inequality costs, and in France, the middle earners earn 20% more than in the UK, and low earners earn 25% more. This inequality is why the cost of energy and the cost of living hits people worse in the UK, and it's why I'm for independence, incidentally, to choose a better path. But meantime, in my constituency, there are both more, more off-grid fuel customers and a higher rate of fuel poverty than in Northern Ireland. So will the PM do the right thing and extend the £200 payment that's going to Northern Ireland to the off-grid customers in my geographically distinct constituency, the Hebrides, on the basis of fairness? Yes or no? Yeah. Mr Speaker, we're, we're Last week's autumn statement announced £55 billion to support families and businesses across the United Kingdom with their energy bills, and the Chancellor paid particular attention to those that are off-grid in rural areas by doubling the support to £200 for them, and that will help many people in his constituency and across the United Kingdom. Sarah Bretley. I'm sure we'll both be celebrating this weekend what we consider to be one of the best days of the year, and that is Lancashire Day. Hosting the event in Parliament. So, will the Prime Minister, though he represents a Yorkshire constituency, join me in welcoming, welcoming our Lancastrian local leaders and businesses to Parliament today and join us in supporting our proud history and bright future by levelling up what we consider to be the best county? Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, 
Uh, well, may I, may I offer my best wishes to my uh, honourable friend and indeed to you, uh, Mr. Speaker, for Lancashire Day. And I can put local rivalry aside on this occasion to join her in thanking Lancastrians for their contribution to our country and to wish her the very best for today's event. Mr. Norswolf. Mr. Speaker, what we've heard from the Prime Minister today is, in essence, that no matter how Scotland votes, Westminster will decide. Yep. But democracy demands differently to that. Mr Speaker, the late Canon Kenyon Wright said, what if that other voice we know so well says, we say no and we are the state? Well, we say yes and we are the people. And it is the people in Scotland who have to be heard. This place can't stand in the way of democracy. And if this Prime Minister, with no mandate, thinks it can, is he seriously telling us that this is a voluntary union of equals? Well, well Mr Speaker, we are focused on, not on the SNP, but on the people of Scotland. That's who we're delivering for. I'm happy to meet with the First Minister, as I continue to do, to deliver for them, whether it's in her own constituency with a growth deal, whether it's moving civil service jobs to Scotland, whether it's delivering free ports or, indeed, the extra funding for public services. This is a government that will deliver for the people of Scotland, and we will do it constructively and collaboratively.